Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. And good morning and happy new year. It's good to uh, be back together with all of you. It seems like it was like last year since I saw all of you, right? Well, you'll hear that a few times over the next couple of weeks, no doubt. So let's, let's turn our attention now to uh, his word. Again, we will be in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. We're going to consider this chapter really in two parts today as well as uh, next week. So we'll, we'll tackle the first half of it here today. And as we come to chapter 18, we come to this point in Scripture where Jesus has begun to speak of the church Okay, in the early part of Jesus's ministry, he didn't really refer to the church specifically, didn't use those terms. Uh, But now he's begun to talk about the church, the ecclesia, his church, which is literally a gathering of called out ones. Okay, this term ecclesia had been used uh, for uh, for for much time up until this point. And, and Jesus really takes this word and he begins to make it something new as he does with each and every one of those who follow him. And, and so really the idea of the church is, is about believers. Believers who are being set apart and made distinct from this world. Okay, Jesus has said that he will build his church. He shared that in, in, in our Bibles just a, a couple of, of chapters before, just one chapter before. And, and with the cross now in view, Jesus is coming to this point now where he knows that the end of his earthly ministry, uh, the work of the cross, is quickly approaching. And so he's focused now on ensuring an understanding of what is ahead and, and to make clear what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow Him. As He prepares uh, His disciples for handing off the ministry to them, they don't really know this. The the disciples are still anticipating that there's going to be a kingdom that's going to be established on the earth, but Jesus knows He's going to be handing off the work of establishing His church to the disciples, and so He's working to prepare them. And that's really much of what we come into now as we come to chapter 18 is is really that context is Jesus trying to help the disciples and and help us by extension of his word and the the Holy Spirit to really understand what does this mean? What does it mean for you to be here this morning? We, We need to understand you are the church. We say it often. This is just a building. This was a this was a karate studio. Okay, what you were sitting in right now was a karate studio at one point, and then a ballet studio. And when you go out into the lobby, uh, you can you can you can picture in your mind many years ago people sitting anxiously awaiting their dental surgery. Okay, that's what was happening out there in the lobby, as they make their way back into the rooms to have oral surgery. And then if you go to the next uh, section over to where the offices are, uh, that was a builder. He built this place, and then he used it as a showroom. If any of you ever go, you should do this, okay? If ever you want to check it out, the main bathroom there in the office area, if you go in and you wonder why there's a jacuzzi tub, it's not the baptismal, okay? That would be, that would be awkward. It's a little too tiny in there. It was because it was a showroom for a builder. All that to say, this is just, it's just a building. It becomes a church when you show up because you're the church. 
But what does it mean to be a part of the church? And let me give you a hint here this morning. It doesn't just mean coming here on Sunday morning. You have a far greater responsibility as a member of the body of Christ than to just show up on Sunday morning. As we come to this chapter, Pastor John MacArthur says of of chapter 18, he says, this is the single greatest discourse our Lord ever gave on life among the redeemed people in His church. It's a pretty powerful statement. For someone to say, a respected pastor like John MacArthur to say, this is, chapter 18 is is Jesus' greatest discourse on what it means to do this. So we need to pay attention. As we, as we delve into here, into chapter 18 today, as I, as I mentioned, we're going to consider this over the next two weeks. And, and what we come to here is a chapter that is really about body life. Life is the body of Christ. It's about you and I. It's about us, how we function together, what our lives and our care for one another should look like, at, at least in part. It's, it's not extensive of every aspect of body life, but it considers much of it here in this chapter. In fact, there are, uh, depending on your translation, 59 one another statements that Jesus makes in the New Testament. So they're not all included here in chapter 18, but there's some of them. 59 different statements that Jesus makes about how we're to handle one another, how we're to care for one another, how we are to treat one another. Go back for a moment here and let's just consider what we've, what we've covered over the past couple of weeks. Jesus has been far more intentional and transparent in sharing who He is. He's been far more intentional and transparent about telling the disciples that He's going to die. And, and as we've considered the past few weeks, these various interactions He has had with His disciples reveal what the, what the, the, the church truly is and what life the, this life of faith is all about. And remember, it's all about Jesus. That's what he keeps bringing it back to. He keeps, he keeps informing them that it's, it's about him. All authority is in Jesus. The foundation of the church is Jesus. The glory of God is revealed in Jesus. That it is Jesus who is greater. That we're to listen to him. God himself, God the Father, declaring, listen to him. Listen to my son. And as we considered in our study last week then, we are to trust in the power of Jesus. We're to remember the victory of Jesus. We're to consider the humility of Jesus. We're to rest in the sovereignty of Jesus. That when we do those things, we ought not fear. As we come into a new year, and there's so many things that are unknown, so many things that we're, we're, we're finding, probably you're thinking like, man, what's it going to be like at the end of January? What's February and March going to bring? Going through a year like 2020, we find ourselves saying, you know this time last year we weren't thinking all this stuff was going to happen and maybe now you're going what what's going to come but the fact is when you do those things when you trust in the power of Jesus when you rest in the sovereignty of Jesus when you remember the victory of Jesus when you consider the humility of Jesus then you can look ahead and you can say I don't need to worry about it I don't need to be concerned about it I can just go Lord you got this and what a freeing thing and so then, as we, as we do that, as Jesus' disciples, because if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a student of the Word of God, then you too are a disciple, then, then what that means is that you're a community, then you're part of the community of called out ones that follow Jesus. And this is really the most important thing on this earth today. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. 
That if you consider the end times, if you study prophecy, if you consider and you seek to understand eschatology, which means a study of the end times, of the, really the end of the world, what you come to an understanding of is that it's his church, that he's working through his church, that his church plays a, a profound role and function in the world today, that we as people that are set apart, called, indwelt with, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we are being used to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are playing a role in restraining the evil in our world today. And really that we should be leading the charge and caring for others. And bringing the gospel to bear on all aspects of daily life. That is just part of what it means to be the church. It's the church in our own individual lives that ought to be the source of fellowship, and friendship, and encouragement in each other's lives. And so we need to pay attention. When Jesus takes time to explain how we're to do this, what it should look like, what our life together should look like, we need to pay attention. It's not long after this point here in chapter 18 where Jesus would be asked by a Pharisee, and and really in a way of testing him, that's what the Pharisees did. They weren't interested in learning anything. They just wanted to test Jesus, to try and back him into a corner to catch him saying something that was wrong. And a Pharisee comes and, and asks, teacher, and it says that this Pharisee was basically a lawyer, right? A lawyer, he's, he's asking this, like, I'm going to get him, right? And he says, what is the greatest commandment? Remember how Jesus responds? It's in Matthew 22, in verses 37 through 40. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, Jesus says, hang all the law and the prophets. It's all fulfilled in that. So this morning, as we gather for the first time in this new year, I wonder, are we considering this? Of all the things that you're thinking about for the year ahead, the various plans, the goals, the resolutions, are they rooted in love for God and love for others? Is that what the motive is? Is that the motivation behind the things that you're considering? If it's not, I would encourage you to change your perspective. Because the fact is, it should be. That's where it should begin. Love for God, love for others. And so let's dive in here. In chapter 18 and verse 1, it says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What a dumb question. Matthew gives us insight here. He says, at this time, he's saying it, 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 he's connecting it with the previous chapter and where they were at. Elsewhere in Luke and Mark, we gain insight into the fact they're still in Capernaum. Okay, they've been walking around doing some ministry, and the disciples had sort of been disputing amongst themselves as to who, which one of them was the greatest or would be in Jesus' kingdom. Again, they're thinking, Jesus is going to establish his kingdom on the earth. He's been doing incredible things. Man, he's knocking it out of the park. He's just revealed his glory to a few of us. They no doubt told others about it. They told the rest of their friends. He's been healing people. He's been doing incredible work. They said, it's coming. And he keeps talking about this thing that's going to happen in Jerusalem. And he keeps saying he's going to die. And he said something about being raised again. And I don't understand all that, but I know we're going to Jerusalem, so it's about to be on. And they're thinking about, then that means he's going to be on the throne. And that means his kingdom is coming. And man, 
Who are we going to be in that kingdom? What kind of power are we going to have? What kind of authority are we going to have? Who is going to be the greatest? Mark tells us this in Mark chapter 9 and verses 33 and 34 that when he came to Capernaum, this is Jesus, and when he was in the house, perhaps Peter's house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? Now here's the good thing, credit to the disciples here, because in verse 34, they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. You see, Mark gives us insight here to that they were a little ashamed They probably didn't think Jesus was listening. Maybe he didn't overhear. And now he asks them, hey, what were you talking about back there? And they're thinking, oh boy. Maybe elbowing one another, right? Why'd you you ask that question? Now what's happening here then? Well, here's the thing. The disciples are being human. They're being sinful, which means human or human sinful, right? And here's the thing. Pride has crept in. That's what it ultimately is. Pride has crept in. Maybe it was the miracles that they had, they had worked, that they had accomplished in Jesus' name. Maybe it was their presence at the transfiguration on the mountain. Maybe it was Peter acing a few tests. Whatever it was, they started to think a little bit more about themselves than what they should. And what they had clearly then dismissed was the humility that was demonstrated by Jesus not long before this. Remember our lesson from last week? Consider the humility of Jesus but they hadn't considered it for long. They'd gotten caught up in their own foolish dispute, which, based on how Mark describes it, they knew it was foolish. And we see in verse 2 and 3, then Jesus called a little child to him. It's lesson time, okay? They're asking this question, and now it's time to set them straight. So Jesus, he calls a little child unto himself, and he sets him in the midst of them. And he says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's the thing. Whether willingly or unwillingly, their little debate is uncovered. Their discussion of greatness is revealed here. And Jesus essentially says to them first, and this is really where the first offense comes in, because think about it. What they're asking here is, which one of us is going to be greatest in your kingdom? And look how Jesus responds. He says, essentially, you're worried about greatness. Let's start with whether or not you're even getting in. Right? Let's start with whether or not you're going to even be in the kingdom. Ouch. So that's got to take them a step back for a minute. Like, whoa, didn't see that coming. So first here, they're concerned about their position in the kingdom, but they need to start by considering, am I even in the kingdom? And what an appropriate thing for us, for every one of us, for everyone in this world, especially those who call themselves Christians, to consider at the beginning of this year, am I truly a believer? It is not my intent to come in here today and challenge any one of you on that. We're not going to dwell long on this, but it's a healthy thing for us to evaluate. Have I surrendered my life to Christ? Have I given my life to Him? Because what we must understand, especially here, and forgive me, being the guy who was born and raised in Michigan and now a transplant in the South, which, by the way, I now call home, okay? But especially here in the South, it don't mean nothing that you've gone to church your whole life. Nothing. Unless you have surrendered your life to Christ. That you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior. That you said, I'm a sinner. There's no way that I can have a right relationship with God unless somebody covers me unless somebody makes me new and that's jesus through his work on the cross and his blood that was shed that covers you it's through jesus that we come into a right relationship with god the father where our sins are forgiven 
That's essential first and foremost. And Jesus says, unless you're converted, unless you're changed, you won't be in the kingdom. But then here's the second thing. What are you to be changed to? Well, in this picture that Jesus is giving us here, he brings really the second offense in that he says you're to be converted into a child. Why is that that big of a deal? Well, you see, children at this particular time were merely possessions. In this early Jewish culture, children were nothing. They had no significance, no power, no pull. They were to stay out of the way until they were useful, until they offered some sort of value. In fact, a a proper translation, truly, if you went back and you took a literal translation from the Greek here, it would not be him or her, it would be it. That Jesus, Jesus would call a child unto himself and place it in the middle of them. And that he would look at it and reference it. Now what's the implication? What's the significance here? Because Jesus is taking something here that to them is very low, and he's now saying, this is what you need to become. Now, is Jesus saying that then you need to become, let's say, uh, ignorant or uninformed like a child? Is that what he's communicating to them here? No. You see, you've likely heard the phrase, a childlike faith, right? Now, the fact of the matter is, a childlike faith, that's not really a term that we even find in Scripture. We've sort of made that term up, and it's rooted in this passage and others like it throughout the Gospels. And it does not speak of a sense of of childlike wonder. It's not about some abandonment of reason that you just need to become like this child who won't ask any questions and will just believe in me. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is it's about humility. Look at verse 4. He says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus, once again, as he has so many times before, this is flipping everything that they think they know and that they've come to believe. He's flipping it upside down. And he's saying, you're talking about greatness. You better be concerned about whether or not you're even going to be in the kingdom. And if you want to be in the kingdom, you need to be like this little child. And So what does he mean? He says, you need to be humble. And so what, he, what, what happens here is that Jesus here reveals that the disciples' arguing was rooted in pride. And he deals with their pride by saying, listen, you won't even be in the kingdom if you can't, like this child, recognize your complete and utter dependence on me. You see, the child here, the child who, who knows that he has no position or authority in this world, understands in this moment as he's placed here in in what may be somewhat of an odd situation, as Jesus brings this little child unto himself and sets him in the middle of these guys who maybe are even arguing a little bit, what this child understands in this moment is that he can trust Jesus, that Jesus is safe to come to, that in the midst of all these people, he's safe and he's comfortable in the presence of Jesus, that he needs to, as he's come there, as he's been set in the midst of them, as, he's, as Jesus says, come here, and he comes to him, that he can, he can trust Jesus. You see, that's what a child does. Children depend on and trust their parents. They know that they're safe in the presence of their parents. That they don't have an issue coming to one of their parents that, you know, stranger danger, all this kind of stuff, right? That it's like, how am I going to be safe right now? I'm going to run to mom and dad. And this brings us to the first of three lessons for us today as we consider this idea of body life. 
And that is that the way in which members of the body of Christ are to handle themselves amongst one another begins with humility. It starts there, guys. Your entrance into the kingdom, your interactions with one another, it starts with humility. An understanding of who you are and who you are not. An understanding of who God is and our place before Him. Humility. Humility is the source of a right relationship with God and as we'll see, with others also. Now here's the thing. These first five verses will set the stage for the rest of the chapter. It's all rooted in this. This is the foundation. It's going to set the stage for how we're to relate to one another within the church. And we see that here in verse 6 as Jesus then changes the perspective of this view from individual to community. We read here in verses 6 and 7, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And so you see here, Jesus is continuing then to use this analogy, this picture of a child, so this little child is, is, is still sitting in the midst of them. And then he refers to all of those who are children of God as he says, these little ones. Okay, so he's not just saying this isn't a verse about literal children here, though they're included. This is about everybody who's a child of God. This is about all followers of Christ. And he says here, you better not, perhaps in your pride and in your selfishness, do anything to harm or to cause to sin, cause sin in another's life. For if you do, it would be better if a millstone were tied around your neck and you were drowned. What does that mean? What's a millstone, some of you might ask? I've got a picture for you today, if you throw that up there. That's a millstone. That's actually kind of a small one. Uh, it's the big round stone that the uh, piece of wood is put through. That's one that uh, a person might be able to move and to use. Most millstones would require that actually a donkey would be hooked up to it, and the donkey would walk in circles, pulling that millstone, moving that millstone, and it would grind. Okay, it would grind the wheat and the and the grain that was in there, and, and that's what the mill was. So what Jesus is saying here regarding little children. So again, Jesus is referencing all those who believe in God. All those who believe in Him, as He's saying little children, which includes little children, which includes adults, all people, all Christians. He's saying, you better not cause any harm to anyone in, in, in my church, in my body of believers. You better not cause any of them to sin. If you do, it would be better if we took that big stone, tied it around your neck, and dropped you in the water. And what that means is you're not coming up. It'd be better for you to be dead. Now, when we read stuff like this, it's like, whoa! Because this is clearly serious. I mean, this is harsh language from Jesus, the, the grace guy, right? That's because Jesus wants us to be serious. He wants us to be serious about our care for one another. And part of that then is about being serious about personal holiness. About being serious about sin in your life. Which means, friends, that if you think the sin in your life is just an issue for your life, then you're not thinking rightly about life in the context of community. You're not thinking in terms of body life, about the body of Christ. Look at what verse 8 says. Verse 8 and 9. 
If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. Then if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Listen guys, this brings us to lesson number two this morning and what life amongst the body of Christ looks like. The first lesson is be humble. The second is that there must be radical commitment to our own holiness. Radical commitment. What we must understand, based off of what Jesus Himself is communicating here, is He's giving instruction about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, about what it means to be a part of the church, about what it means to be a part of the kingdom, is that your sin affects the rest of of those who are in community with you. And here's the thing. In the best case scenario, your sin simply prevents you from truly being the hand or the foot or whatever part it is that the Lord wants you to play as you're part of that body. In the worst case scenario, you're the cause of leading someone else astray. And when that's the case, go back to the millstone. And that's what Jesus is saying about you and your actions. And guys, if Jesus is saying that, then we need to take it seriously. And the sad thing is that many churches today and the world certainly today would say that's garbage and that's offensive and we shouldn't talk about that. And this everlasting fire, oh, that's just a scare tactic. And and, and, and within churches even, saying, no, don't don't worry about that. You, You just do you and you focus on you and you live your truth and you do all these crazy nonsense things that have nothing to do with what it means to be a part of a community of believers. Now, am I condemning anyone today because of their sin? No. The fact is, we condemn ourselves. No, what we need to look at here is to say, I need to take this seriously. And so maybe it is the case that as you begin this year, you're thinking about different things in your life that you want to do differently, things that you want to change. And it may be the case that some of those things are in fact sin. And so it is good that we deal with those things because we need to be committed once again to our personal holiness. But we do it from the standpoint of a right relationship with God, knowing how the sin interrupts and and affects that relationship. And we do it also because we have love for one another and knowing that, man, I don't want to let the community that I'm a part of down. Because when we keep those secret sins in our life, it begins to have an effect whether we want to recognize it or not. And so what might those sins be? They can be any number of things. Oftentimes, when we think about this verse, we look at this verse, oftentimes our minds go to and we suggest some form of sexual sin, and certainly that would be in view here. Jesus himself dealt with this much earlier in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. But it can be a number of different things. Again, go back to what are the things that maybe you're thinking about making a resolution about. Some of those things, again, may be sin. And guys, what Jesus says here, and of course, let's deal with this. Is he saying, you know, chop off your hands, chop off your feet? Literally? No. And, and sometimes I even hesitate to go, well, no, because I feel like it sort of gives us a pass, right? That we can look at this and we can say, well, this is hyperbole and we don't really need to, you know, uh, let's tone it down a little bit. But then what we do is we tone it down a whole lot and we just move on because we're like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just, he's just being extreme. I'm not going to cut off my hand. And true, you're not going to do that. And why? Why is Jesus not saying this? Because some people would suggest, no, this is exactly what he's saying, but they got both their hands, right? Um, 
but they want to be all like super spiritual and extreme. Well, no, he's not literally saying this. This is in fact hyperbole because the fact of the matter is, I don't know about you, but most of the time the sin in my life would not be uh, dealt with if I just chopped off a hand or a foot. Why? Because it's here. It's here. And so doing that doesn't deal with this, but what Jesus is saying here, what he wants them to understand is be extreme. Deal with it. And by the way, don't judge other people when maybe you're just feeling a little convicted because they're being extreme and radical with dealing with their own sin. And you, and you want to say to them, whoa, it seems like you're being a little intense here. Well, why? Let's be careful that we don't be the one who's going to cause another brother to sin or lead them astray because we're somehow pulling them back when they're trying to be radical about dealing with the sin in their lives. We, we've got to support one another in this. And I'm not talking about getting to some place of, of spiritual perfection, but man, I'm sick of sin. I'm tired of it. And I'm just speaking about me. I'm tired of sin in my life. I'm tired of those moments when I just know that, man, the enemy got me. So humility leads to radical commitment to your personal holiness, which should then lead to, and let's look at verse 10. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And so lesson number three of body life here is for us to have genuine concern for others. Listen, if you are humble... You recognize you have no place or position of authority. You are just humbly dependent on Jesus and safe in His presence. And you are radically committed to your personal holiness because you don't want your sin to rob you and the body of serving faithfully for His glory and God forbid to be the cause for leading someone astray. Then with that, you should also develop a genuine concern, care, and love for others. Love God, love your neighbor. Why? Because he said so, and because he did so. Look, consider verse 10 and 11 again. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now verse 10 is often used to suggest that we each have our personal guardian angel. Okay? That's the verse a lot of people go to, to to suggest that. And I don't know that that's necessarily in view. I don't know that we can take that from this verse and say, yeah, I have one. I have this, you know, I have my angel and you have your angel. So I'm not sure that it necessarily says that as much as it confirms that there's absolutely angels in heaven who care about you, who are there in the presence of God, looking upon the face of God, and they're concerned about you, which means you're important. In the eyes of God, you are important. And furthermore, the reason Christ came to this earth was because of you. So naturally, Jesus would say, don't despise any one of these little ones. Why? Because he doesn't. But you've got the right to? No. Look at verses 12 through 14. What do you think, verse 12? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
You see, here's the thing. God cares about each and every one of you and those that are a part of the body of Christ. And, and amongst those of the body of Christ, there is not one, not one who belong to Him that He is willing to lose. Amen? We should praise the Lord for that. And what we see here, and what we'll see further even next week, is that we have a role to play in that. But sadly, friends, when we're not, when, when we're not taking body life seriously... When church becomes simply the place that we go on Sundays, or maybe we just tune into the live stream. And listen, I'm not condemning anyone right now because of that as it relates to COVID and all that. I get it. It's kind of weird right now. But I'm saying in, 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 in general here, that's not good enough. And I'm increasingly concerned the longer that this goes on and the more that people are not truly a part of body life. Because this is important. And here's what I'm going to tell you right now. This, again, to state it differently, this is not it. In fact, I'm of the opinion that the way that we do things on Sunday morning is, a lar is in large part because of how we prefer it culturally. What am I saying? That I think some of what we do on Sunday mornings is maybe a little wrong. Not sinful necessarily, but more so because it's the way that we like it. It's the way that we're comfortable. It's the way that we prefer it. And so, yes, I'm constantly seeking the Lord to say, Lord, how would you, what, what would you want us to do? How would you want us to do it differently? But I also know this, that it's far, it, goes, it goes way beyond our time here. And every aspect of our life should invade every aspect of our life. This is to be a community. But if it's just that, if it's just an, an, a couple hours a week, how can we say we're community? Can we really say we're a part of the church? And some that are part of the church today, and I'm speaking broadly here, I'm speaking capital C church, they think, well, you know, I, I go and I, and I pay my tithe, and so then that, then that means that the, the staff that's there that's supported through that can do a lot of the things that I can't do. And, and listen, man, church staff, I'll speak for myself, I'm not that good. How many people can I love well? I mean, let's be honest. Well, sure, with an extra outpouring of grace and and, and a fresh filling of His Spirit, maybe a, maybe a few more than the average person. But even sitting in this room right now, which by the way, as you guys noticed who came out to the, the, the tent event that we had, you know that this, this church, this local representation of the Capital C Church is a lot bigger than what you're seeing in this room right now. And I don't say that from a sense of pride, but there's more people who are going to come in second service, and there's people watching online through both of the services, and then there's some that are watching online later on. And that when we, when we have that, that glorious moment where we get to come together outside and it's a little bit safer, we start to go, holy smokes. And I got people on a weekly basis asking me, hey, who was, who was, sitting, in the, who was sitting in the second row over to the left? Because they're watching online. They haven't been here in a while. And again, that's okay. I know some of those people and why they're not here right now, but they're going, I, I don't know them. Or then we run an announcement. They say, who's that? There's a lot more in this community than what we even know. How can I possibly love every one of them well? Love each and every one of you well. Most studies suggest that we can do so about, with about 10 people. That we can love 10 people really well. Well, I got a family of four. So that now puts me at six of you. And I got a team of 10 elders. So, well, now I'm all used up. Statistically speaking. Now here's the praise. I know we got to close. The worship team, come up here and kick me out. Here's the thing. This, this is a praise. This is a wonderful thing about this church that many of you call home. And the reason you call it home is not because you go home and say, man, Pastor Brent is awesome. And maybe some of you every now and then think that and, and just think it and don't tell me. But I'll just think that you think it and I'll feel great. 
But chances are, based off the testimony that I hear from you, you go, man, I felt at home. I felt connected. People loved me well. And, 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 it, and it blesses my heart in the, in the good way. <laughs> it literally blesses my heart when I hear the stories of how you serve one another. And so this is happening. Listen, can I, t- can I tell you this? You know, David's, David's leaving for 10th hour on Wednesday. Some people are say, are ask, want me to stop saying that, right? Stop, stop saying that, Pastor Brennan. He's leaving for 10th hour on Wednesday. Excuse me, Saturday. We're sending him off on Wednesday. Do you know what's paid for? Done. Paid for. Yeah, you can applaud that. Why? Why is it paid for? Because of you. So great job. Great job doing that and being a part of that. Those are the types, and it's not just about money. So what I'm saying here is we, we got to do more of this. When you look around the room, you look to your left, you look to the right, you, these are your neighbors. And Jesus says, love me and love each other as yourself. And that's hard to do. When you're really honest about it, it is hard to do. Because we love ourselves a lot, even when it does, doesn't sometimes look like it. And when that happens, when we really find ourselves going, man, do I have, if we're honest, you just evaluate it, you say, do I have genuine concern for my brothers and sisters in Christ? And don't be quick to say yes. Because we have, most of us have a basic consideration for one another. But do, we, but do we really go, man, I know them. I know what's going on in their lives. I have a desire to care for them, to serve them. Oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we go, man, no, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not getting it done there. And when that happens, in order to understand why, you go back to the beginning. Pride, right? I read an article this week. It was 41 key signs of pride. It wasn't so much of an article as literally a list of 41 things. That was it. Just boom, here you go. I failed. I did read through it. I'm like, oh, man. We don't have time today for me to read to you all 41 of these. But as I'm reading through it, I'm coming up on these different things. It says, do you have a... These are just a few. Do you, do you have a judgmental spirit towards those who don't make the same lifestyle choices as you do? Dress standards, how you school your kids, entertainment standards, just anything. Do you find yourself going, oh, my, my way's right? Are you quick to find fault with others and to verbalize those thoughts to others? Do you have a sharp or critical tongue? Do you frequently correct or criticize others? Your pastor or people in positions of leadership, teachers, youth director, etc. Are you argumentative? Do you generally think your way is the right way, the only way, or the best way? Do you make judgments on what the church should or should not be doing but are unwilling to do it yourselves? Do you have a touchy, sensitive spirit, easily offended, get your feelings hurt easily? Do you have a hard time admitting when you're wrong? Do you have a hard time confessing your sin to God or others, not just in generalities but specifics? Do you have a hard time sharing your real spiritual needs and struggles with others? Do you have a hard time praying aloud with others? Do you have a hard time reaching out and being friendly to people you don't know at church? Do you often complain even about the weather, your health, your circumstances, your job, your church? Do you talk about yourself too much? Are you concerned about your problems, needs, burdens more so than others and their concerns? Are you sitting here thinking how many of these questions apply to someone you know and not you? Perhaps feeling pretty good that none of these signs of pride really apply to you. Listen, that can be hard to hear and be hard to read. But in the year ahead, should the Lord tarry in his return, he will continue to work in and through his church. 
using his church to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And his church is a body of believers. And if that's you, Christian, then you're called to be a part of it. And all the things that you're thinking about, all the things that you're planning for is loving God and loving others, the foundation of it all. Are you thinking about your role and your place in this community of believers? Are you thinking about body life? If you're not, if, if you're more operating in your own world, thinking about your own things, then, that, then that's pride. And today's the opportunity to lay that down. Today's the day we need to lay that down. This is the first Sunday of the year. As we prepare to take communion here now, and we'll, and we'll do so here shortly. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27, following his instruction uh, on the Lord's Supper, he says, examine yourself. He says, therefore, whoever eats his bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He says this, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Paul's saying here, we've got to deal with our hearts. We've got to deal with the way that we interact with one another. We've got to get this right. If we're going to take communion, we've got to make sure we're doing it right. That this, that, what, that, what are we doing right? This. Life together. And even Matthew, early on in Matthew in chapter 5, he talked about there, do you have an issue with your brother? Leave your gift at the altar. Go, make it right. So this affects our worship, our relationship with the Lord. And next week, we're going to deal with how to handle a sinning brother how to confront the sin, but also the importance of forgiveness, how to come back into a right relationship with one another. And so you see, we must deal with our pride. We must in humble dependence first come to Jesus and then in radical commitment to personal holiness address our own sin, developing through that great care, concern, and love for one another as we seek to truly live as the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pause here now and give you thanks, Lord, for our time together. And Lord, I just pray that you would take this word and by your spirit work it down deep into our hearts so that, Lord, we would develop a greater love and desire for you and for one another. For We know the, that, Lord, that's what brings you glory. That's what you said is ultimately the, the greatest of commandments, that everything's fulfilled in that. We have an incredible opportunity, especially in this time in our country and in our world, to live this out in such a way that it's on display for a lost world. That they would see in us, in the church, something that's different. Lord, help us in that work. And as we take communion here now, Lord, a very sacred opportunity to partake together in the symbols that represent your body and your blood. May we do so with right hearts, having examined ourselves, getting right. Lord, laying these things before you, before we partake. Father, be with us in this time here as we, as we close. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.